The Sports Career Podcast, episode 270. What core skills do you need to pursue a career in sports PR? Hello Sports Achiever and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Career Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in sports PR. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your sports career development, interests and needs. Before I talk about this week's podcast special guest, I want you to hear about my sports career mini course, which is all about helping you discover and start a career in the sports industry with confidence. If you want more information about this free mini course, head to education to sport forward slash MC. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is Nick Rucastle. Nick is the founder of New Reach PR, which is all about promoting and using PR as a tool to share stories in the sports industry in an ethical and impactful manner. For that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Nick as a special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Nick will share his sports career journey and explain to you the core skills you need to pursue a career in sports PR. Nick, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast show. Please share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Well, my career in PR actually didn't start in sports, believe it or not. I um, I kicked off working, it must have been about 15 years ago, working in the programme publicity office at ITV, uh, which was really cool. It was organising cars for Fern Cotton, very traditional ways of getting old school clippings, you know, literally cutting newspapers out and putting them in a folder, uh, transcribing, and I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, photo shoots and all that stuff. It was great. But um but my my heart always always pulled me to sport. You know, massive sports fan, huge Southampton fan for my sins, uh, as you can see behind me, Harlequins. Um, and yeah, sport is sport is my life. And getting into it was I knew I wanted to, hadn't found the opportunities initially, and I went through a few different few different jobs, different sectors. I worked in construction. Had a little stint working at a pub, uh, and uh, then I ended up getting a, a short-term gig working for the Warrington Wolves Rugby League Club, and that was that was the start of my sporting love affair. Really, then I I kind of I knew that I needed some some PR agency experience, which is which I found really really important, and I, I wasn't getting those opportunities within sports. So I actually went to a tech PR agency for a year. Then the opportunity of a lifetime came to work in a sports PR agency. Um, and that, yeah, it really did transform my career. And then before I knew it, I was I was heading up the comms team at Harlequins um, and now running my own sports PR agency, New Reach PR. Well, what an answer. I've got to go back in time and sort of decode some of the answers. Firstly, with regards to all the odd jobs, I'm going to start the one with the pub because I actually worked in a restaurant when I was in my early 20s. All those little ob jobs I call, how has it supported you now from a skill set perspective? So for me, I was a waiter. It, without a doubt, helped me with my communication skills. Could you just share those micro jobs? I know it's not the end result of where you wanted to be, but looking back, how they've supported you to where you are now? 
Well, no, I look back at that that role. Um, I, lo- I loved it. It's always great working at a pub, right? And uh, I, like, I've always been really, really driven. Um, and I was there, and I was just, you know, guy working behind the bar. But I was always pushing the manager to be like, look, give me the chance in this sort of supervisory kind of role. Give me the ownership behind the bar. Um, and he did, you know, maybe the bar supervisor. And I, I learned some very initial management skills. You know, very, very sort of small fry in the grand scheme of things but it gave me the opportunity to sort of manage my team a little bit just you know a few people behind the bar and and understanding sort of that process and and how to not only work with other people but then also have that slight leadership role um and i yeah i really enjoyed it so i knew that was sort of the way forward for me sound like a complete control freak don't i but no no i just um I like management uh and it's you know it's that probably was a bit of a catalyst for me to, to always strive for more throughout my career and not just be happy at a certain level, always thinking what's the next step. And a lot of people get comfortable in sort of these glass ceiling jobs, don't they? Um, that's, yeah, that's never been me. I mean, I guess I'm in a bit of a glass ceiling now running my own business, but I've got the growth of the business, you know, that's the way up. Um, so, yeah. Just on that management side of things, Looking back, did you make those mistakes? So meaning, did you find your own management sort of way of doing things by working with a team? Because I think that's really such an interesting point where these early roles, you can make the mistakes. Mm. So when you in, so where you are now running your own business, you, you can sort of go back in time and go, hold on, I did this. I won't do the same here. Does that sort of make sense? Because I think management is such a big thing in the sports industry when working with teams. Yeah, look, I'm still making mistakes. I'm sure my team will be the first to tell you that. Uh, you know, I don't think you're ever going to get it perfect, but working on a, a management style is really important. But the way I did it was learning from others and watching managers around me and being honest, you know, and not slating any of my previous managers, but you do learn sort of, okay, as an employee of that person or a direct report, or whatever of this person, I didn't really appreciate that or I see some flaws in it. So actually take the learnings and, and move forward and go, no, this is, this is my style. This is how I want to be. And I think taking a real interest in your team is, is absolutely fundamental. Um, I, I, I stress real importance around PDP um, and all those personal development plans and everything for for my team because it's having that clear structure and understanding as to your role where it is now and then where you can be in a certain amount of time is so important not just for staff empowerment but also overall well-being and just feeling really really valued absolutely i'm so glad you mentioned that sort of personal development side of things now i want to just pivot the conversation a little bit with your time at itv because there's a lot of people who come on my show going ed how do i transition my skills from one industry into sport and you've shared that briefly but from your time at itv how has that supported you when you were at warrington or at harlequins that those skill sets were transferable i'm just curious on that point yeah itv was in hindsight it was a really really small part you know when you look at it sort of on a calendar of, of my my career but actually it was probably the it was the, and I'm going to come back to this word I think quite a lot today I feel like it's my word of the day the catalyst um, for me to really I felt it, it helped me fall in love with PR and made me realize because look my my dream growing up I was going to be some some foreign correspondent in Baghdad with a you know, a vest on reporting in war and conflict. That was my my ideal goal or the next Trevor McDonald or someone like that. And then I realized, no, no, I'm much better 
behind the camera, although massively contradicting that right now, um, of course, you kind of have to kiss a few frogs, right, before you, you find the right thing. And that's really important for anyone who's, who's starting a career, and particularly if you're looking for sports. Sport is such a small sector, really, when you think about it, in terms of the jobs and opportunities available. Everyone will have that dream job in mind. Everyone will. I never got my dream job. You know, I never headed up the comms team at Southampton Football Club and I never will. And I'm okay with that. Probably best, actually, because I don't think you necessarily want to be behind the scenes and too close to something you love and cherish so much on a personal personal level because it totally ruins it for you. Trust me. Um, so I think being able to, being open to new opportunities and thinking, okay, this might not tick that box for the sports bit, for example, but it does give me that experience of working in X, Y, and Z. And it will give me these skill sets, which will lead, place, put me in a better position when I come to apply for my dream role or whatever that looks like. So could you just talk about that phrase, the catalyst? Like, what do you mean with that phrase? If you're going to use it a lot, I'm intrigued of yeah, what yeah. that means to you and how it can relate to the listener with regards to their career development. Cat- catalyst for me, it's sort of that epiphany moment, that moment where I realise, yes, this is what I'm going to do, that kickstart into into PR and this is going to be my life my career okay I don't want to be a journalist now I want to work in PR that was what that ITV experience did for me and it continued it and then yeah I sort of worked in as I say a load of other sectors I was PR marketing manager in a construction firm for for a couple of years and my god that was some dry stuff being perfectly honest with you but I learned a heck of a lot from it you know um so I think, yeah, the, the big advice to me, for me to anyone is don't be afraid to, to explore new opportunities because it will lead to something bigger, better and more appealing to you. Um, but be approach it in the right way as well. Don't be like, oh, I don't want to work in construction PR and because you're never going to develop. You're just going to be in a bit of a rut. It will lead to something better. There's a quote one of my special guests said, um, Greg Davis actually was my headmaster. He said, uh, challenge creates character. Would you say from that PR role with that instruction company, it challenged you with regards to your character, with regards to working in PR? Is that a sort of fair reflection? And out of interest, yeah. could you just dig deep a little bit of, because as you say, constructions, it's, it's not my cup of tea. It's not, I have no experience, but I bet you the skills from PR can be applicable to like what, what you're currently doing now. So I'll just have the thoughts on that. 100%. Look, the skills from any element of PR are 100% transferable. All you're doing is applying it to a different space. So, you know, you've got to be a very good communicator, a very strong copywriter, confident, um, very considered and careful with everything you're doing. And I know this isn't a PR podcast, so I won't, I won't sit on that too much. Don't worry. But I think, you know, going back to that experience of the construction company, yes, the content wasn't really that enthralling and exciting for me but it it was also quite a slow environment you know it wasn't a very busy job so I had to make myself busy otherwise I was going to come become really complacent really lazy and really bored and the days were going to drag we all know when you're in a job where there's not a lot of work to do it actually you might think oh it's great I'm not busy wonderful actually it just drags and drags and drags so making myself busy, being proactive. They'd never really had this kind of PR function before at this company. So it was mine to mold and create really. And they didn't know what PR was. So 
it was using my you know relatively new experience you know limited experience uh, but what I knew and just bringing my own twist to it and being really proactive uh, and driving it forward that was what I think I kind of took away from it and understanding this is a bit more about how the sector works and particularly when you're working in-house for a company as opposed to an agency there are times where you have to really do think quite creatively and be forward thinking because there's no one up there coming down at you going are you doing this you just you're a lone ranger at times so you've got to yeah really really drive it home so before we talk about today's podcast topic which is actually about the qualities or core skills to work in sports pr but you just mentioned there about like there's nothing worse i totally agree being sort of bored pretty much if you have that no self-motivation so what skill sets generally have supported you even now running a business of like time management self-confidence like keeping that high energy like before we talk about core skills how has that supported you sort of those internal skill sets that help you show up each day in the current work you're doing which i assume is the role you enjoy the most i bet now um just curious on that point really really interesting question actually um i think drilling drilling it down yeah the time management was what you said that that for me is is a big thing managing your time and, and implementing processes as well to help you do that I don't think anyone should be ashamed of having a really old-fashioned to-do list. This is it's messy, right? It's really old-fashioned, but my god, it helps me. I've also got a whiteboard there, and I use Trello. Like I've got like three or four different to-do lists, but it really helps me, and it really helps my team as well. And that's a big thing for me as a manager. Is obviously, I, I don't like to micromanage. No one likes to be micromanaged. But as a as a the owner of a small business, you want to be. You need to be on top of everything. So working with your team to help them understand processes is, has been really, really important um, for me. And apologies, I've just gone on a complete tangent. Um, you do, you're doing fine. Like the other point I mentioned was energy because you're your own, you know, business owner now, like how important is making sure your energy is high to the best of your ability on a day-to-day basis. Because if you have that boredom, yeah, you go down that slippery slope. I love your thoughts on that uh, as well. Yeah. And I think the listeners will understand too why it's important. Yeah, exactly. Look, for me, obviously, my energy, if I don't have the energy and I don't have the motivation, then my business doesn't function, right? So I'm in a very different position to what I was 10 years ago. However, looking back to me 10 years ago and taking lessons from now and going back a decade to say what I teach myself is is yeah treat every every day in in work like it's sort of your own business if that makes sense and i know it's not and you don't have no one you know when you're an employee you don't have all the stress and the financial responsibilities and all of those burdens on your head however there is someone that has employed you that does have that so if you can help them by doing the best you can to ease those stresses worries fears i mean look i had hair once right um <laughs> then you're only gonna be seen very highly by your boss right you're gonna be a core part of growing a team particularly if you're working in a small team and i've apart from sort of itv and a few others i've largely worked in relatively small teams i've never really i've never done the big pr agency thing and i've never really wanted to because i like being part of something special and growing something and being part of that journey it really, really empowered me to do that. And I had some great managers who, who allowed me to, to share that journey. But it was only really made possible because I wanted to and I had that hunger and desire. 
And yes, sometimes the to-do list might have looked a bit short, but it's just being proactive and forward thinking and going, okay, these are the clients. If you're working in a PR agency that I'm working on, these are my accounts. What can I do? I know what the objectives are. And if you don't know the objectives, then your boss has done something very, very wrong. Um, then let's, yeah, just what can I do to absolutely smash this and impress? Because the more you impress, the the faster you're going to rise the ranks, being brutally honest. I hope people are taking notes, but I really don't want to bombard your email inbox when I say this question. But out of interest, what do you look for when bringing a new member to your team? Like this is somebody who may not have the experience, but also has that drive, but most importantly, willing to add value to your organisation. Like what qualities do you look for when, you know, when you think, actually, I want to, want to grow that team? Like what do you look for employ, employing people? I, I'm always looking for their attitude. Um, and I, that to me, obviously, when you when you see you receive a CV, you can only tell so much from it, right? So you kind of got to take a stab based on their experiences or whether you think they're the right person. However, one thing for me is I'll always ask for a covering letter. And if I don't get one and their CV looks good, then I'll ask for one. And if I don't get one and the CV doesn't look necessarily that great, then Unfortunately, I won't go to them and ask for a uh, ask for a covering letter, because I'm automatically kind of put off by the fact that they've not taken that extra effort when applying for jobs. And I won't be the first person to come on this podcast and talk about the importance of tailoring your CV and covering letter and your overall application to to the job. I cannot stress the importance of that enough, and I think I've realised that a lot more in the last year or so since starting this business. Is the laziness on applications is terrifying. And it genuinely, when you're presented with so many applications to go through, it's such a daunting process, especially for a small business. You want someone to just stand out. And it's not necessarily the time that's the problem. It's quite deflating when you just get the same repetitive application over and over again. And there's no one who's kind of gone, wow, yeah, you've you read it and you've gone, wow, they really want to work for New Reach. They totally get us. And I don't expect people to have all the answers, especially if you're looking at a graduate level kind of role. Of course not. Why would you have all the answers? If so, we'll be paying you 10, 15 grand more. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no. Yeah, it's, um, it's yeah. And I think in terms of your your point around the, the kind of uh, the, the people and how they fit into the team and that value, Obviously, we're, we're looking, we'll be always, every role, I think it's important that every role has a clear sort of, every business owner has a clear understanding of what that role will bring. And for me, I, I like to surround myself with people that are actually better at things than I am, because ultimately, I'm really good at what I do, but I can't do X, Y, and Z, because I can't do everything, right? So, you know, we've got a uh, a brilliant copywriter who focuses in B2B and thought leadership stuff um, who's fantastic. And he is much better at writing copy, uh, particularly from B2B thought leadership space than I am. And I'm okay with owning up to that. And I'm the first to admit it to my clients and going, great, this is Stephen. He's going to write this. Um, or James, who works in our content, for example, you know, he's, he's a social media expert. I am not. I've never used TikTok. Don't even have it on my phone. Which I probably shouldn't admit because some of our clients are on TikTok. However, um, you know, I think it's it's identifying, understanding the role when you're looking at a job application, you want to apply, looking at the, the specification of that role and understanding, okay, 
how do my skills really match up with that? Because clearly there's someone there who hasn't got this and I can offer that value, um, particularly in a smaller role, a yeah, smaller business. Again, I, I hope people are taking notes. I'm relating to your team. I, I always love this phrase. There's no I in team, but there's an I in win. And that's what it's all about. You don't need to be the expert in everything. But really quickly, just another layer of a questioning. Do you look at like their personal brand online? Because for me, for example, how I've created opportunity is how I come across online on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram as a presence. Like you work in PR. It's all about how you utilize those platforms I assume people can do the same in individually, which I've tried to achieve. But do you look at that when making the decision of how they come across when you do research on their sort of like social medias? Yeah, I tend to try and avoid Facebook and Instagram because in in my opinion, that's a really personal platform. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I, 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 but at the same time- I mean presence. I mean the professional presence. I think- Professional presence, yeah, presence, yeah. That's what I mean. I'll reword the question. I mean- when you look at applicants, do you look at them on how they come across? So if they want to work in PR, they have to showcase their posting PR content or writing small little articles or blogs to get your curiosity up again. Sorry, I'll rephrase that. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Yeah, and I think the ones that really impressed me are the ones that have clearly been really forward-thinking and driven and kind of on their own back, they've started a blog or they use LinkedIn articles or anything like that. I think it's certainly a graduate level anyone that's on linkedin that's uh, that's a big tick for me because they they recognize the importance of it um and a lot of people are just you know it's life is it's the instagram life isn't it um particularly for for that demographic and age group that generally would be you know classed as your graduates so having the initiative to to build your presence be that a blog or whatever that looks like or being you know proactive and going to your local paper and asking to write some articles and volunteering your time here, there, or whatever, anything like that, it does, it does stand out or even a bit of freelance work. A lot of people think, Oh, you have to have 10, 15, 20 years of experience to become a freelancer. You don't at all. No, no, you can, if you're, if you're good at what you do, you can, anyone will take your copy, you know, you can write some articles and, and get that stuff published. And I think for me, from a PR point of view, obviously there's a huge cross between journalism and PR. And a lot of people that we employ have or that I work with uh, have previously been journalists. And I think a lot of the time is a really nice crossover there or certainly have an interest in journalism um, because writing and, and understanding the news and the agenda is, is so, so important. So, yeah, people that coming back to their online presence, I certainly, yeah, LinkedIn and Twitter are two for me. I think seeing what people are engaging in as well, having that interest in a subject matter. And an area, you know, if you're applying for a job in sports PR, but all you're tweeting about or sharing on LinkedIn or whatever is about fashion, it's a bit like, fine, but do you really want this? Um, and look, it, it, and not wanting to contradict my point as well about, okay, you want to work in a certain area, but there's nothing available, so you have to go to this, absolutely. But kind of demonstrate and be open with that. You know, I've, I've actually had someone who's done some work experience with us recently who, who's fantastic, and but she's she's really passionate about working in music PR. And it was one of the first things she kind of said to me, but she recognized the opportunity of working for an agency like us and getting that experience. And yeah, it's been outstanding. And I think that, that really, that attitude is instantly was like, yeah, you know what, you've stood out from the rest of the people that applied for this work experience opportunity. So amazing. Well done. 
And it's like the entertainment world. That's really what sport and music is. So there's that similarity crossover. Um, so look, I've really, what I'm trying to say, everybody, because really, if you don't mind, Nick, I want to share how we got connected. We got connected through Twitter, like Nick nicely sent me a DM and I'm like, wow, checked out his agency. And I had to get him on the show because I was curious of his journey. But really, that's how it can all start through my for me my experience was my podcast so I just want to share that CV and cover letter which I'm so gratefully shared from picking the job but actually building a brand is a great asset and that's what I was trying to highlight but Nick I want to get to today's podcast topic and I do have one question before that again because you said it twice what is the difference between the sort of journalism and PR like if you had to define it what the difference is but then also define the 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 crossover which you've mentioned as well well, journalism is um, traditionally it's it's the people that write the write the articles in the newspapers and either present or produce the the news pieces or whatever on on the on the news programs on on TV. Um, you know, it, it, those are the kinds of roles. And then PR. Yeah, people often say PR supports journalism, but I think it's a bit of a round circle because they can't operate without each other because PR supply the content and the ideas and the opportunities to journalists. Yes. A lot of the time journalists will find their own stuff. Of course they will. That's what they're, they're also paid to do, but with kind of as PRs were there to serve some really great, interesting stuff they might not find on a plate to them. Um, and there's look, it's always been that fractious relationship and I've written pieces before on it um, in some publications around the relationship between journalism and PR. And they always say, PR's the dark side and everything like that. Um, but actually, they, they really support each other so well. Because, and you can cross over um, if you've got the... Ultimately, for me, if someone's been a journalist, what am I looking for? I'm looking for some brilliant writing ability. Um, they understand how to write a story. They, need, they know what a, story, a good story is, what it looks like how to pitch to journalists you know that's what we do most of the time and we need to understand get into the head of the journalist and go okay we're going to go to x and they need to then pitch this story to their editor so we need to think like them and just give it to them ready made that their editor can't say no to so doing a lot of research and that is a big job that's a big thing for journalists journalists do a lot of research and in pr we have to do a lot of research on the media outlet that we're targeting the journalists, what they're writing about, and really make sure that it's the right fit. Because ultimately, if we get it wrong time and time and time again, we're just sending the same rubbish to the same contact who is effectively just blacklisting us. Um, and then it just kills opportunities when we got something really, really good. So being targeted, and we're all guilty of it, and I've been guilty of it, and that sort of mass send, the scattergun approach, as we call it, just sending emails to loads of different people where actually it's not very productive at all and the art of the press release in that traditional sense is kind of dying um you know a lot of people think you send out a press release to journalists and they'll just run the story that's not the case anymore so it's it's sort of transitioning from that mindset and i think that a lot of that stuff is still kind of taught at the university level as well is sort of the power like press release and those traditional methods whereas i think actually times are changing quite a lot and I, I talk to I go in sort of once a year to University of Sussex and I talk to students and tell them a little bit about the industry um, and hopefully I don't don't make the lecturer go oh well this is just contradicting everything I, I've been teaching for the last year but I think there's that the university is really important and yes if you if you're able to and 
understanding the theory and everything around PR, for example, is great. A lot of it, you don't necessarily apply on a practical level, but having that understanding and knowledge of what it is, because the amount of people that say to me, what is PR? Like, seriously, a lot of people don't. Someone even once said, when I said I run a PR agency, they're like, oh, okay, so you you go out to Magaluf and hand out leaflets, do you, outside clubs? It's like, no, 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 no. But um, yeah, there's there's clearly a lot of education um, to be done, which is why, you know, having a, a degree and understanding the sector in the industry is so important um, for people. So if you're in a position to, that's great. But it's not all about education as well, going back to about people I employ. Look, if they've got a degree, fantastic. But if they don't, I'm not going to discount them. If they've shown real initiative and hunger and desire to get relevant experience, then that's going to kind of trump it all, to be fair. If you stand out, that's what it's all about. And just relating to your new way of thinking of PR, that you've really got my curiosity. Is it does it come down to sort of less is more? When I mean less is more, it's more having those quality conversations with those journalists relationships so you sort of build that trust barrier so when that big news story that is it you call a hit it's done the right way instead of like that mass scatter approach is that what you mean with a new approach 100 yeah relationships is absolutely key there always has been in pr you know 10 years ago we used to take journalists out for lunch and wine and dine them and all that those days have gone covid obviously had its had it has an impact on that but i think it's just building relationships by having done the research before when you're looking to kind of reach out to a relatively cold contact, someone new, but once you've kind of got in with them once, you're then in a really good position to pick up the phone to them again and have another conversation. And then before you know it, you've managed to get a few things away. You've got a great relationship. They're on your, they're in your favorites list on your iPhone and you're winning really. Um, So having relationships and, and confidence is so, so important. Being afraid to pick up the phone in any job, but particularly PR, is a real issue. I think if you're not, look, I understand that that people obviously are shy and nervous and it's terrifying. And I've literally had journalists on the phone and I've had to hold it out here because they've been shouting because they're in a very stress pressured environment. Um, So it can be scary, but that happens once, twice in a career. You know what I mean? Generally, they're just good people who are busy, so they might be a bit blunt. Um, and you need to recognize that. But you've got to be quite thick-skinned in PR. There's no way of hiding it. You've got to kind of go and be quite confident and be prepared to take a bit of a battering um, and brush it off. And Well, no, no, brush it off is the wrong phrase, actually. Learn from it and move on is, is the key thing. And I think the key thing for us as well is, is having people in why I've got an office and I haven't necessarily got this work-from-home culture. We've got a few people that work remotely just based on locations and everything. But I think the power of being in the office with your colleagues, especially if you're earlier on in your career, is you learn. And as I say, I'm not, I don't know everything, but I like to think that, you know, some of the, the newer members of the team being in the office, hearing me converse with journalists, is going to teach them kind of the way I do it and how to, how to do it and make that approach. So, yeah, I think once COVID allows, being in an office is, is hugely important. So, my also another bit of advice is don't be put off a job if, it, if you've got to be in the office because this is a really new thing and it's actually working from home. I hated it personally. I, I did 
didn't like it. I lost any interaction with colleagues. It was lonely. I've also got two young kids downstairs who I love with all my heart, but they make a lot of noise. Um, my productivity levels were down. And I know full well that if I was starting my career, having to work from home, I'd, I'd lose a lot of, of experience and insights from some of the more senior members of the team who would teach me so much. So I do strongly urge people not to be put off by an office-based job. In fact, I encourage it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I have to, I'll be honest, I've been working from home quite a while, but when I was on the interns, I did love learning from people because you can learn by watching and using your senses and listening. Mm. Gosh, you've got me really thinking now from that last sort of answer, really. Really, I want to touch on rejection because you mentioned it about confidence or picking up the phone or making phone calls or learning from it. But looking back, how important is it like rejection's normal in the sports industry? And what I mean there that you have a great idea, somebody else doesn't like it because they've got other more priorities and you, you sort of get frustrated yourself, but it's part of the sports industry. And I, I assume it happens a lot in the journalists and PR world so how do you manage that without letting the ego or frustration explode that makes sense because I think it's part of the industry uh, I really in my experience the first couple of times you get rejected in any in any sense right it really hurts it cuts deep and you kind of everyone says oh this it's like when you get rejected from a you know a potential partner or something you know there was plenty more fish in the sea you kind of have to take that approach and go okay yeah it kind of hurts and I thought it was a really good idea, but ask for feedback. Always ask for feedback if you can. Be that you've said you pitched something to a journalist, they've said not for me. Before they hang up the phone, try and ask them why. Just explain that you're relatively new and you'd love to learn. And I think they'll really appreciate that. And likewise, if we're in a, you're in a team meeting, you're, you're there. Everyone's throwing ideas around. You've been there, sat quite quietly, thinking, "No, I've got this one big idea. I'm going to time it right." You throw it out there, and instantly someone goes, "That's not right. No, let's let's do this." kind of take command of it, a presence in the room and go like, that's fine. I respect your decision, but I'd love to understand why, because that's going to help me learn or take them away at a separate point and just find out the reasons. Don't be afraid to ask. Um, and in any sense, it goes back to, you know, if you've got a quiet to-do list, don't be afraid to ask what's next. A lot of people go, oh, well, my boss doesn't want me to, doesn't want to think that I'm quiet. So I'm just not going to say anything. And then you're sat there twiddling your thumbs um, and you're new to the industry, so you don't know what to do. Um, or likewise, if you've got way too much on and you're burning out, burning the candle at both ends, you're like, well, well I need some help here. I can't do it all. Don't be afraid because, as I said earlier, managers don't get everything right. Um, we still get things wrong all the time. So help us manage you and your time effectively but tell us when it's things aren't perfect because that's going to help improve us. Comes down to creating that win-win. Yeah. With regards to the vision everybody has, meaning your organisation and your KPIs. And talking about you now, going back to your career, what inspired you to set up your own sports PR? Just what inspired you to go, right, I'm drawing a line in the sand, I'm going to start my own agency. Like, What was, mm. what was the real breakthrough for you to do that? Well, I'm sure a lot of people have got these really inspiring, wonderful stories. I'm not going to be one of those people, I'm afraid. Um, this won't be making the social edits, I don't think. However, I, look, I'd i always planned on setting up an agency. And in my head, because name, my name's Nick Rucastle, obviously, and I was like, NRPR, that's what I'm going to call it. That was sort of the vision I'd had. And 
I didn't necessarily have a timeline, but I'd left the previous agency I was working at in 2019. I'd got this really cool job at Harlequins and I, don't, I love rugby and I really wanted to just have that fun role before I sort of settled down and became a serious managing director and founder and all of that stuff. Um, and I did, and it was, it was a great job. And, just, you know, I got to travel around Europe with rugby teams and England internationals and write match reports and do press conferences and drink beer on copious levels, um, uh, which, which was great. But, you know, it, was, it wasn't a long-term thing. And COVID actually ended that journey probably sooner than, than well, definitely a lot sooner than I'd planned. Um, and my role was made redundant. Um, so I was one of those people, what, October, September, October time last year or last summer must have been, who was redundant and had no job and slightly panicking, as we all do. Um, and I thought, OK, well, I'd always had this vision of setting up this NRPR thing. But I'm not sure I'm there yet. So I was like, I'll just freelance for a little bit and see if I can find another job and take it from there. And, you know, at the time, obviously I had our first young child um, and second one, probably actually at that point, wasn't wasn't on her way. But we have also a five-month-old, so maybe she was. My timeline's a bit off here, sorry. Um, and, you know, I had to think about the family and it was obviously far from ideal time to be selling up your own business. So I just was like, okay, I'll just go freelance for a little bit. And my goodness, the rate at which that picked up. And I think it, it all was testament to, to my ethic and experience and work over the years and building some brilliant contacts and doing some awesome work, to be fair, and working for some brilliant people as well. Um, yeah, I, gathered, I got a lot of clients really, really quickly. Um, and I think within... It was just after Christmas. I went, no, no, this is this is accelerating at quite a rate. I'd only been doing it for what four months or something, the freelance gig. And then I was like, no, I'm going to start up my own PR agency. Um, so yeah, I incorporated, which means in fact, for those who don't know, registered it on Companies House as a business in in April this year um, as NRPR Limited. However, I decided to change the name to New Reach PR um, because NR. PR was too close to me in terms of whilst it's my business, I have a team around me now and it wasn't just me. Like, yes, I'm sort of the face of it, but actually there's so many brilliant people doing amazing stuff and I can't be across it all. So I decided to take my name sort of out of the business because it wasn't, it wasn't fair and it wasn't the right thing. And that vision was just a bit silly. <laughs> um, probably the name and yeah, so really it was sort of initially I was, I was looking for jobs, freelancing, and then it built so much momentum. I went, no, I'm going to just go for it now. And it's it's paid off really well. And now we're, you know, a, a team of five. We've got a little office. Um, and yeah, it's been what, April to however we are now, obviously recording this in December. Don't know when it's going to go out. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a, a fantastic first year for the business really. And I guess, sort of thrown into it a little bit in a very unconventional way with the whole COVID landscape. And it's been it's been really tough at times, I'm not going to lie. COVID hasn't made things easy, particularly in the earlier days. Um, and hopefully this, this new variant isn't going to impact things. Um, obviously, for the sake of obviously the business and, and everyone, we, we hope to God that it doesn't. But I think the sport industry has learned a lot through through the last 18 24 months around covid and has learned to adapt 
a lot of the work we do is around, you know, we do a lot of work within sort of grassroots and, and community sports as well. Um, and that's always the first to be struck off, right? Um, but hopefully the, the, the environment and the, the landscape has changed and adapted with, with the challenges and sport can continue to thrive because it is the most powerful tool, in my opinion. Absolutely. And would you just mind sharing your vision now? You said you changed the name and you, you, you said it's, it mm. will affect the vision. Could you just share the vision of your agency and what services you provide? Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, our little sort of strap line um, is making a difference to the development of sports, talent and communities through ethical, impactful and strategic PR. So that's very business jargony. Um, what effectively that that means is we like telling the stories that matter the most. Where what I what I did is it's important for any business owner to find a niche, right? There's so many sports PR agencies around. I couldn't really just become another sports PR agency because I just get swallowed up in the saturation of the environment. So. I, you know, I've done a lot of work within the sort of social impact space and the purpose-led, you know, the benefits of sport. And I identified there's no PR agency within the UK that delivers sports PR and combines it with social impact. There's a lot that do PR, a lot that do social impact, but none of them kind of marry the two up as a specialism. So that's what we do. We are a sports PR agency, a sport and social impact PR agency that by default is the UK's leading because we're the UK's only one, but I'll take that. Um, and yeah, look, in terms of social impact, because a lot of people won't necessarily be familiar with the phrase. We've all seen, even if you don't know sports, we've all seen Marcus Rashford and Naomi Osaka and all of those guys delivering important messages, driving action, behavioural change, challenging leaders. We all saw COP26. Sport was a big part of that, you know, the Global Climate Conference. Sport has a huge responsibility to better lives, um, and be that at elite sport level and grassroots level, um, you know, from top to bottom. You know, elite sportsmen and women have a power, have a responsibility through their voice to drive positive change, right? And everyone... Uh, across the whole sporting pyramid, as we call it, from top to bottom, has a role in some sense from your under nines coach at your local football club. They're delivering good by doing coaching sessions. They There's just the responsibility from the powers above to help make sure they're doing it right um, is an important thing as well. So, yeah, long and short of it is, you know, we work with, with brands that deliver brilliant sessions, messaging, narrative, leadership policy all of that sort of stuff across the world and you know that some of it is one of our clients is london youth rowing for example and they deliver rowing sessions making it accessible to you know areas that are deprived communities within london and they make rowing accessible through them and we we help to tell those stories and it's, it's a huge honor for me to be able to be a part of lyr's journey and share the stories because they've never been able to do that before, but we made PR accessible to them um, basically by being affordable because they're a charity. And that's something where a lot of PR agencies go wrong is they come in with these massive high fees. And yes, we've got overheads and costs to cover as a business. Of course we do. But ultimately what's the point in doing what we do if it's not what we love and the stories we, we want to and need to tell. So I feel like as a business, we have a huge responsibility to 
to tell those stories. And that's not even our, our social impact because ultimately we're still getting paid to do it, um, albeit at a, an affordable at affordable rate for our clients you know we as a business i need to develop our strategy and our staff you know i make them take a few days a year paid you know as you know extra days effectively to go and volunteer their time to local community projects within the sporting sporting community just to be able to give back a little bit but hopefully we can do a lot more as a business um because that's what we we live and breathe i love that example i actually went to a rowing school ship like college and Oh, they, yeah. they actually have teams that go to or represent yeah. them in Henley Regatta. And when you think of rowing, you think of that sort of event. And what you're doing is like the other extreme. It's like the grassroots side of just getting access to getting in a boat. Like just to emphasize the yeah. listeners, like you can have the elite side of rowing. And then what you're doing where these people don't have access to participate and have the experience, maybe what that I love that casely because it shows that maybe one day they could get a Henley if they have the right support, which you provide from a PR perspective. I love your yeah. your thoughts on that, that it's about access, not just about profit. Sorry, I'm just, I love your thoughts on that. No, you're completely right. Yeah, yeah. And you look at, um, that my brother also went to Shiplake College. Actually. No way. <laughs> um, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he was very into his rowing as well. Um, he, they might have Wait, been not Andrew, Andrew, Andrew well, Newcastle. Sure. Yeah, he's my little brother. You are yeah. kidding. We're both at Burr House. We were in the same house. <laughs> Charlie Lowndes, he was our housemaster. Oh, oh, there you well, go. I was curious with your second name. We're going to have to keep this live on the podcast. Andrew, I'm sending you a big yeah. uh, fist pump, my friend. I hope you're well. Oh, my goodness. Small world. Right. <laughs> Let's go back to PR now. But literally, I love, I'm so glad you mentioned the rowing one because, as you know, with your younger yeah. brother, Andrew, he was a rower. I remember him representing Burr. But... Mm. You know, what I love what you're doing is, and for the listeners as well, just emphasize the point, everybody wants to work at the elite side of sport, where actually the projects you're mm. doing can get that real exposure of impact at the grassroots level from a PR perspective, but also just rowing grassroots as well. So just more on that impact side of things, how have you seen the fulfillment as a business organization looking at social impact with regards to like sport in general, like from what you've just said, but just emphasizing that point? Well, I think what we've seen in 2021 uh, within the, the sporting landscape is the platform for people to talk around important causes develop. I, I you know, I talked about Rashford and Naomi Osaka, Lewis Hamilton wearing the, the rainbow flag on his helmet at the, I think it was in Qatar, wasn't it, a couple of weeks ago for the F1 race. Uh, Paul Merson opening up, uh, I don't know if you saw the, his documentary around his, his battle with gambling. Yeah. Sorry, another one, Khalida Papal, I've heard about her getting 150 Afghanistan women players out of Afghanistan, and it was um, funded by Kim Kardashian, uh, Kim Kardashian uh, to get to Australia. So, sorry, I'm just... Exactly. No, no, like, there's amazing examples of, of good being done through sport, and I think the sports men and women, it's, it's actually a debate I was happening, having with a, a really great chat I was having with a journalist at The Telegraph yesterday. We were just digressing massively into this. The responsibility of, of these athletes is, is absolutely there. But I think not until this year have, has that really been fulfilled and capitalised. You look at obviously all the, you know, the terrifying stuff coming out of the cricketing world at the moment. Um, and, you know, credit to him for, for opening up about his experiences in Yorkshire and, and the, the racism. And, you know, it's amazing that action is going to be taken now. But the platform for people to speak hasn't been there previously. And I think it does take people 
sort of taking a bit of a risk and going for it and just speaking from the the bottom of their heart and opening up to to help people realize that actually yeah it is safe to talk around challenges and unfortunately we're still to this day seeing cases of abuse at all levels uh, across you know all levels as well of the the of sport from elite to grassroots coming out 20 30 40 years later of of some terrible things that have happened so people haven't been in a position to to talk about it but by people raising awareness of this use it you know through sport it can create that platform so i think that will be the catalyst here we go um 21's been the catalyst for that but there's also we, we talk about a lot of the elite level however there's so much great stuff happening in communities and that's that's what sport can bring is it can genuinely transform lives um a client of mine's london sport uh, and they last Monday had the London Sport Awards and, uh, you know, I was lucky they invited me along to it. And it was amazing. Some of the stories and we've been, you know, promoting a lot of these stories of the nominees um, in the press in, in, in recent weeks. And they really are truly inspiring people that have, you know, there was a big focus on sport and COVID, as you can imagine, um, with the time. But the work that these people have been doing in their local communities, often volunteering to just utilize sport to bring good and help better people's lives. And it's, you know, the obvious thing that everyone thinks is, oh, you know, fitness, obviously that's, you know, that physical health, but mental well-being of just taking part in a session, the social element of it, being able to get out of the house. I mean, has <laughs> been quite an achievement in the last two years, right? Um, and all the, the natural challenges that have come with COVID as well. Um, but then also, you know, empowering people to to think more about the planet. You look at sport and actually these stadiums and all the infrastructure around professional sport, that's pretty damaging stuff to the planet, really, if you look at it. However, sport does, to an extent, and certainly needs to a little bit more, address that. And we were lucky to work with the EFL, English Football League, this year to help educate all 72 of their clubs and drive some really positive PR around uh, a green scheme that they're working on to help them better themselves. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, a lot of it's an education piece as well as physically and mentally benefiting lives. And people just think of sport a lot of the time as Cristiano Ronaldo banging in wonder goals. It's so much more than that. It's, you know, it is Marcus Rashford who like really and who cares what he does on the pitch at times because we'll look at what he's doing off the pitch and credit to the likes of BBC Breakfast for really getting behind his story and telling it but also Kevin Sinfield the the former England rugby league player and all the fundraising he's doing for for MND obviously in honor of his of his mate Rob who's who sadly um got MND um you know it's all of that that's that's social impact right there and it's those stories that we love telling. Um, and I, I hope that, I think it's probably quite clear my passion for it. And you can get me talking for hours. This will become the, the social impact podcast, right? Um, we're just going to take it over. Sorry, Ed, you're out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm loving the conversation. I can hear your enthusiasm. I know you've got the passion behind the role of PR, but actually I love your enthusiasm. And really today's topic was the core skills to work in PR, but you've said it throughout this whole conversation and I hope the listeners from an experience standpoint can decode all those qualities 
advice and most importantly case studies i think case studies can really highlight an example they're more the actual core skills but look out of interest nick what have you enjoyed the most from your sports career journey looking back right now i think the obvious thing would be the whole rugby experience you know working at harlequins and traveling around that would be the the obvious one to pull to but i think actually and there's so many great moments. You know, I was I was Team England's UK-based media manager for the 2018 Commonwealth Games. That was awesome. You know, we, we you might remember the um, the England netball girls winning and in a dramatic last-minute final match against Australia. What an amazing moment! They I remember the moment I was there at Heathrow and I was told they were on a flight back, and it was a case of of scrambling around to try and get media media there you know sky and all of those to the airport for that homecoming moment but then also we we took them i basically took them on a tour of the uk and, and covered off all these amazing media moments they did good morning britain bbc breakfast and all of that that was fantastic um but i think actually now is probably my my highlight because i've i've built a relatively successful business within less than a year um and it's been stressful but i I don't think I've actually enjoyed it as much as I have now. And I, but I couldn't have done any of it without those amazing experiences before. Be that the construction role, tech PR or ITV or any of that. Um, it's all played its part in, in the journey to get me to where I am now. Absolutely. I can tell in this whole conversation, again, I hope people are taking notes throughout this whole conversation, but I like to finish with an inspirational question and you've provided bags from a PR standpoint, but just from a general standpoint, what three qualities have supported you when Sunica in the sports industry? What three qualities have they been? I think understanding a little bit about the the area and the space you want to work in and having that passion. And if if I guess we can call passion a quality, right? Um, that that for me is is absolutely a big thing and, and really just honing honing in on what I want to do. Um it's been a big thing and obviously that and it, it, I, I link back to experience being more important than qualifications as well so in terms of qualities I would say being driven um, and passionate and just hungry about it all really is is absolutely it um, and that will that will resonate across everything you do be that the news that you read the the posts that you share all of that um are really big things and I think as I've said it before but writing writing is so important in what we do do it any way you can write a blog use LinkedIn offer to volunteer for your local paper become a freelance journalist for a month I don't really care what you do but do it because it will help you and it will embed you within this this world awesome I really like being hungry, that quality, I think you're so right, because it just comes through naturally in how you communicate online, in person. So that's such an important one, which you've reminded me just now. Out of interest, Nick, how can people interact with you online? I'm on Twitter um, personally, so at Nick Brewcastle PR or new, at New Reach PR. Uh, we're obviously on LinkedIn um, and we've, we've got a website, obviously, which is www.nr-pr.uk. 
I couldn't get the dot code at UK. That always catches people out, but that was already taken. So dot UK. Um, and yeah, look, I, I I would love anyone to to reach out if they they've got any questions or, or follow up. Please do jump on the website. My email address is on there, and just drop me a note. So I always want to help. Awesome. To all the listeners listening in, all those links will be on my website really with regards to this podcast blog post. Nick, it's been a joy chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. What a brilliant conversation with Nick. And honestly, I hope you've got a better understanding with regards to what it really takes to pursue a career in sports PR. But most importantly, understanding how journalism and PR relate to each other, but have a different role at the same time. But honestly, the biggest thing I enjoyed the most learning from Nick is all the skills he's developed throughout time with the different roles, the different experiences, which have helped him to where he is now. And I think I want to share that to you, relating to you, the listener, if you're listening in, like what skills have you developed and you may not have like emphasized or related. Even for me, I really enjoyed the conversation of him in the pub, trying to improve his management skills by getting more responsibility in the pub. Those sort of like micro tasks relate to new skills of getting out your comfort zone, which I bet you that micro sort of job, as I would call it, of working the pub, managing a micro team in that pub environment has supported him to where he is now running his own business. And I think this is where experience or life experience is crucial with regards to like accumulating that experience with regards to the actual role or area you want to work in the sports industry, because this is what it's all about. It's the skills, the experiences you bring together through your development and put it into practice with regards to where you want to go moving forward. And finally, I have to say this because this is so true about the sports industry. It can be such a small world. Like I couldn't believe that Nick went to school with his younger brother, who I knew Andrew very well. He was like the year below me in Burr House. Like the key learning lesson here is that don't be shy to reconnect with people from your old school or from university to create opportunities. Like for me, this is what it's all about. It can be a small world, but you've got to make the effort to start those conversations. And so look, I really do hope you've enjoyed this podcast as much as I have put into practice Nick's career tips right at the end or qualities which you can apply to your sports career development now and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Nick said, focus on what you want to do, build that experience and show that hunger because that will resonate across everything you do. 